0: Michael J. Amy Thomas J. Bender Donald C. Bolton Robert F. Bauer Donald Cooper Robert G. Kofenis. Joseph Galco This summer, as part of a grand jury report, the state attorney general in Pennsylvania released this list. Michael R. Freeman Edward Graff Francis J. Fromholzer. It's a list of 301 members of the Catholic clergy, all of them accused of sexual abuse. Robert E. Hannon, Edward George Ganster. James P. Hopkins. Francis T. Gillespie. Almost every instance of abuse was too old to be prosecuted. The statute of limitations had expired. Over 1,000 child victims were identified by our investigation, though the grand jury notes that they believe that number was in the thousands. Richard J. Giuliani.
1: Joseph H. Keene.
0: Joseph D. Hulk.
1: Henry Paul. Paul Puzza.
0: And the Pennsylvania Attorney General, he made it clear this list was just the beginning. As the report reads, we should emphasize that while the list of priests is long, we don't think we got them all. But the most shocking thing about this report is that it wasn't just about priests. It was about the entire church hierarchy. I issue the following clear challenge to every Pennsylvania bishop in each diocese. The time for institutions to place their own interests above protecting our children is over. I will not tolerate it. Joseph A. Rock, Thomas J. Carreston, William J. Shields, Rodriguez, David Connell, Gabriel Patel, Timothy a. Johnson, Gerald Royer, Jim Gross, Bruno M. Tucci.
1: I, I guess many people assume that the bishops were doing the right thing.
0: Marcy Hamilton was watching all this unfold from her office in Pennsylvania. She's a lawyer, a professor. She's the head of an organization called Child USA. It advocates for policies that stop child abuse. Did you hear how she said, I guess, like that? I I guess. Marcy's saying, I guess, because in all honesty, she can't fathom why people were
1: surprised by all this. The truth is that every diocese has this problem, and that the incidence looks to be about 6 to 10% of priests are guilty of sexually abusing children over the last several decades. No one had any idea about the ongoing harm and danger, except for, apparently, the small number of people who were, you know, really closely working in this field.
0: I mean, you've been investigating the church for years. Do you find that frustrating?
1: It is frustrating. In some ways, you feel like you're talking to yourself. She says the problem's clear. It's all the same. It's the same pattern. It's top-down control— It's sacrificing children's safety to the needs of powerful men. And I think finally, the world responded this year and said that, well, that's just about enough of that.
0: But the church isn't very good at policing itself. Today, Catholic bishops were actually set to vote on proposals to confront the child sexual abuse scandal. The Vatican shut the vote down. So the question is, how should we hold the church accountable? I'm Mary Harris. Since Pennsylvania's grand jury report about the Catholic Church came out this summer, the question really has been, what next? The Department of Justice has opened an investigation into the church. But even if they do take the Vatican to court, what would accountability even look like? Marcy Hamilton's got some ideas. It's Wednesday, November 14th. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. There are plenty of complicated ways to try to hold the Catholic Church accountable for the child sex abuse crisis, but we're going to start with a straightforward method that works — change the legal deadline for victims to file lawsuits against the Church.
1: When I started in this field uh, around 2000, I couldn't understand why so few cases were ever brought, and it was almost always because the statute of limitations had expired. Our states had extremely short deadlines. In in some of the states, a child who was sexually assaulted at age six would have until age eight to come forward.
0: Yeah. How long does it typically take for a child to come forward?
1: The average age, uh, based on the best science we have now, the average age for coming forward is age 52. And so... The statute of limitations has been an artificial barrier for justice for the vast majority of victims in the United States.
0: Why do you call it an artificial barrier?
1: It's nothing but a technicality. Uh, There there are good reasons for statutes of limitations, for contract claims, for property disputes, uh, but there is no statute of limitations for murder. uh, And the reason is because the victim is silenced and it's our most heinous crime. That's pretty similar to what happens with child sex abuse.
0: States that have changed their statute of limitations are success stories in Marcy's eyes. Because when states allow victims to sue for damages, a couple of important things happen. Victims get the message that they matter, and the lawsuits help shed light on how the church covers up abuse. Marcy says most of what we know about how the Catholic Church deals with abuse, we know because of civil lawsuits.
1: So we only know what we know, for example, about California, Because uh, they opened up the statute of limitations in 2003, and part of the settlement with Los Angeles was to release hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. That's how we learn about the reality, this denial and this cover-up.
0: Have you read all those pages?
1: I've read many of them.
0: What did you see in those documents? Can you point me to something specific where you looked and you said, this is it?
1: So there were facts about the ways in which they had hid the abuse, how they had moved perpetrators over to Mexico, uh, which brought them, took them outside the jurisdiction of American authorities. Uh, There were documents about frank conversations between the bishops and priests saying, you know, I'm going to move you here, just don't do it again. Mm. But what you don't see in all of these documents is that they ever told their parishioners or the children in their parish schools, or the kids going to their churches, that there's a risk here. In many ways, it's just the paradigm of Penn State, the boarding schools, the Boy Scouts, the ultra-Orthodox Jews. It's almost always top-down hierarchical control of very powerful men who trivialize the suffering of the children and the dangers to them and who keep other men in positions of power.
0: Now, you've tried to actually prosecute the church in a big way with this case Doe versus Holy See. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: So one of the options uh, that's out there uh, but is a very steep climb is suing the Holy See itself, the Vatican, for covering up abuse. And a group of us tried to bring a lawsuit, and we actually had quite a bit of success in that We argued that the Holy See, which is a country, it's a sovereign country, and so you can't sue it like you would an ordinary organization. You can only sue it in the United States under the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act. And there are all these exceptions to who can sue and who can't and when they have immunity. This was a really troubling case because a priest that had started out in Ireland, was moved to Chicago where he abused more children and basically said, you guys knew that I would do this. Then they moved him over to Portland, Oregon, and that's where the victim in the Holy See case uh, was from, and that's where they were abused.
0: Hold it. So the priest said, you knew I would do this?
1: The priest himself blamed the bishops for the children that were abused in the United States because they should have known that he was going to do it.
0: And you took the tack of saying, we're going to treat this institution as a country and go after them, I don't know, the same way you would go after who?
1: Well, we would have preferred to have sued them as just a private institution. But because Congress recognized the Vatican as a sovereign country, there's no choice. They're like the UK and the United States and Russia. They are a country. And you cannot sue a country except through this very complicated statute. So it was, it was a massive undertaking. Uh, but part of the undertaking was that everything that you file in the Holy See has to be filed in their version of Latin.
0: Is, is it different from regular Latin?
1: It is indeed. The, the, the first version they got, they rejected. <laughs> they said it wasn't their version. And it's very expensive to translate all of the legal documents that you have into Latin, into their version of Latin. They then played a lot of hide-and-seek in terms of, uh, you know, we were trying to serve the documents. Uh, They didn't want the documents, and so they would say that the, the Secretary of State was not available. They would say that he was out of the building. It took quite a bit of investment to be able to just serve the documents on them,
0: Marcy's case was appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme sent it back to the lower courts. And after all the back and forth, after all the Latin, Marcy's team dropped the case. They were just exhausted. She said it just didn't seem like they could be successful against the
1: church. And then even if we were to get a settlement with them, even if we were to ever get to a trial with them, it would have been impossible to force them to act. They're a sovereign. Hmm. But we did succeed— Uh, in persuading the Ninth Circuit that there should be some possibility of suing for sex abuse on the facts that we'd given them. I mean, there was no question that it wasn't the American bishops that had determined that this priest would go from Ireland to the United States. That had to be uh, coming out of the Holy See itself.
0: So now, Marcy is thinking about a whole other tactic—
1: The question is whether or not the cooperation among the bishops is really just organized crime in the way that it is with the mafia, right?
0: And if the answer to that question is yes, turns out we've got a law for that. After the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report came out, we learned that federal prosecutors were also investigating the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania. Lawyers like Marcy think the feds might come at the church with the same law used to bring down the mob, the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. You probably know it as RICO.
1: You know, RICO was created for the purpose of getting to conspiracies where the people in power aren't really the ones that are carrying out the crimes on the ground. Here what we had was clear organization, top-down control of covering up sex abuse, moving pedophiles around, not just within one parish, but state to state, across the United States, even across international boundaries. And the question was, well, what about the statute of limitations for all of these sex crimes that occurred decades ago? What RICO lets you do is say that the most recent cover-up That is in the statute of limitations, but you're allowed to bring in all of those facts from the past. Uh, RICO is tailor-made largely for financial crimes. I think you could show an intent to protect their assets, and that's why they were moving these children around, and that's why they were moving the priests around, and that's what created all of the criminal behavior. So in the end, it fits the mob pretty well. And it may well be the best model there is for the Catholic Church's crimes in this arena.
0: What are you looking for out of this DOJ investigation to sort of see signs of where it's headed?
1: My hope is that it will paint the picture of the way in which Catholic bishops in the United States have been working at a national level to move perpetrators around.
0: Is there one thing you're looking for, like, well, if they ask for financial documents, if they ask Rome to do this, then it means they're going to do that? You know what I mean? Like, is there something you're looking for that's like a sign of where they're going to take it?
1: Well, what I'm looking for is any documents that involve a bishop on one side of a state line and another bishop on another side of a state line, because that's when federal crimes occur. Uh, So long as they're only looking within one state or one city, those are local and state crimes. Uh, But for federal jurisdiction, they need movement and activity across state lines. Um, And I think many Americans will be shocked at the open communication between bishops about the movement of pedophiles across state lines.
0: Hmm. You know, you've studied how these investigations have gone in a lot of different countries. And I wonder if you think the justice system is even the right remedy here. Like, do we need something bigger than that, a bigger investigation, a bigger reckoning?
1: It's my view that the insurance industry could put a stop to a lot of this, the liability insurance industry. I think that they should refuse to cover institutions that deal with children unless they pass an annual child protection audit survey.
0: You are laying out like such an American way to do this, man. (laughs) You're like,
1: here's what we need. We're going to get them in the pocketbook. Right. And, you know, why do we wear seatbelts? It's because of the insurance industry, not because anybody was dying to be taped into their seats. Uh, The insurance industry has tremendous power. If you were to tell every organization in the United States right now that deals with children that they will not get insurance liability coverage next year until they pass a child protection audit, you would see extraordinary increases in protection for children.
0: But it sounds like what you're saying is that we're seeing this DOJ investigation you're laying out all these tactics we could use. We could use RICO. We could, you know, see them as a sovereign and, and you know, take the tactics you, you used with Doe versus Holy See. But in reality, America needs a different remedy, which is we need to shut down the cash flow or redirect the cash
1: flow. We need it all. This is an epidemic.
0: Thank you so much, Marcy, for talking to me a, a lot <laughs>
1: <laughs> <this> morning <laughs> Any time.
0: Marcy Hamilton is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania. She runs the organization known as Child USA. And that's our show. What next is closing in on its last week of piloting. After this Friday, we're going to go on a little hiatus until January, and we are asking for your feedback. Leave us a review on iTunes, tell us what you think of the show, and tell us how we can make it better. Your reviews will also have the added benefit of helping other people find us. If you've already left a review, thank you so much. We are reading them. We really appreciate it. We'll be using your feedback to retool the show before our relaunch in January. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson and Jason DeLeon. Our engineer is Terrence Bernardo. Talk to you tomorrow.